0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast today. Our topic is called Lessons from the Desert Fathers and Mothers. It's actually part one of a part two or who knows, maybe a part three. This was a lot of work pulling this all together and uh, extremely important. uh, Actually, I've got a slew of books right here on my desk. Uh, the Sayings of the Desert Fathers by Benedict of War, The Desert Fathers, Penguin Press, Where God Happens by Rowan Williams, The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton, Athanasius, The Life of Anthony, which is part of the Classics of Western Spirituality series. And so I've just been the last week just meandering through all these books on my shelf and, of course, stopping and praying through them and trying to organize in a way that I'd offer it to you. Because when we talk about... Uh, emotionally healthy discipleship or emotionally healthy leadership or spirituality. We're talking about a culture uh, in your life, a culture in the church, uh, that draws on a number of things, but one of which, uh, the riches of church history uh, and a slow-down spirituality with Jesus. It's not simply about reading the Bible more or adding disciplines. We're talking about a culture informed by monasticism, deeply evangelical, the same time uh, open to learn you know from others now my first exposure to the desert fathers and uh, mothers was really with trappist monks in 2003 when i had this when i took this four month sabbatical with jerry and we began to live some life with monks and it felt like we were going back in a time machine but it led me immediately to learning from the roots of all this which is the desert teachers and that's when i began to really read in earnest and have ever since But it's like a family genogram, you know? Often our families, going back three, four, five generations, things happen and we're cut off from parts of our family. We don't really know what happened or why. Uh, We don't know certain relatives, perhaps. And it's a great loss. And uh, in the same way, in our church church history, we have a family. And and, uh, the church for the first 1,054 years, uh, there was only one church. There wasn't three branches of the church, Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox. It was just the church. And then there was a split in 1054 between the Eastern and Western Church, and depending on where you lived, is whether you were Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic. And then we had the Protestant Reformation in 1517, that third major split from the Roman Catholic Church. And the Reformation in the 16th century shut down monasteries for the most part in Great Britain and Europe. Uh, and so so much of the slow-down spirituality that comes out of monasticism or Lessons from the Desert Fathers and Mothers was, was lost. I know very little was talked about my own uh, seminary education. And what's really tragic is for the most part, each stream does not learn from the other, whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants, generally don't learn from one another. And that's a real tragedy. And my goal is to expose you to some of the riches that belong to our history. And, um, you know, as missional evangelicals seeking are gonna bring the gospel to the world. Uh, now, I've written a little ebook, and I'm encourage you to pick it up. It's called, uh, you know, it's called Church History Matters: To a Discipleship That Deeply Changes Lives. It's free. Pick it up on our website. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org/church history. Emotionallyhealthy.org/church history. I don't want to spend a lot of time on on all this history stuff, but I want to get right into it. because That's such a fantastic uh, theme. I've just been swimming in it again here for the last few days, and. A key place if we're going to shape the culture of our churches into a deep spirituality, since shallowness is uh, perhaps one of the defining characteristics of so much of Christendom around the world today, uh, if we're going to enter into a deep spirituality, we, I believe we must learn from the desert fathers and mothers. And, and actually, if you look at history, so many of the church fathers— fourth to sixth century and the Middle Ages came out of the desert. They were monks. They were prayers. They were theologians. They were pastors. They were the bishops. They weren't MBAs and marketers. Uh, They weren't slick. Uh, They were very earthy and men and women of deep prayer. Now, Judaism and Christianity has always had a contemplative or slow down tradition, whether going back to Moses 40 years in the desert or Elijah or John the Baptist or Jesus or Paul. Uh, it's always been part of our family history since Scripture and, and in history since Pentecost. But the growth and expansion of monasticism, Christian monasticism in, in the deserts of Egypt and Palestine and Syria in the mid-third century into the fourth and fifth century was an extraordinary moment of history. It was incredible. As, as so many turned their back on worldly success, security, wealth, family, they began to leave their towns and villages and settle in a in the desert initially to escape persecution, Uh, but then after the persecutions ended, they remained and they plunged even deeper into the desert. Now, the turning point in this was Constantine's conversion in 313 uh, as the church became uh, part of the state and, and so much worldliness entered into the church that men and women withdrew from society into these deserts of Egypt and Syria and Palestine to seek God. Uh, They wanted to free themselves from this worldliness found inside and outside the church. They wanted to find God, find themselves, and thus bring Jesus to the church and to the world. And their central theme were the words of Jesus, that a rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. Uh, For the Desert Fathers and Mothers, the basic thesis was the only way to save the world was to leave the world. I like the way Merton uh, says in his introduction uh, of his book, he says, society or this world was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which every single individual uh, person had to swim for his life. They believed that to let oneself drift along passively accepting the values of what they knew as society was purely and simply a disaster. They left the world as though escaping from a wreck. They did not intend merely to save themselves. They knew they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had the not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. Now, in an age when martyrdom was less likely, after Constantine became emperor, the desert became, in a sense, a center for a type of martyrdom. Uh, They actually called it a white martyrdom versus a red in blood, Uh, that that monastics or men and women were abandoning everything for the sake of Christ. Uh, Again, it was a radical renunciation of of personal wealth, property, family life, uh, the false glamour of fame and success even if the fame and success was happening uh, in the church itself. And they lived in solitude and undertook a life of great simplicity. And so there was such a revival that happened in these, you know, third, fourth, and fifth centuries, that outside one Egyptian city, there were said to be 10,000 monks and 20,000 nuns. Now, some of it may have been exaggerated. But they say the desert had become a city because of the number of monks living there. And uh, older monks complained of there being too many monks, Outside one city, uh, there were said to be 5,000 monks, and some communities had up to 600. And all kinds of seekers and pilgrims would come to learn from them. And uh, Visitors, for example, like John Cassian, uh, who was actually from present-day Romania, and he went there and lived among them for 20 years, and then he returned to Europe, and he established communities, monastic communities all over Europe, uh, into Ireland, and he actually presented this desert wisdom in something called Conferences you know, of the Fathers. And that's when Benedict's Rule was written based on John Cassian, uh, etc. And so the richness of the Egyptian desert entered deeply into the mind and culture of Western society and civilization. In fact, you can't understand Western society and civilization unless you understand the Desert Fathers. You can't understand orthodoxy in the Eastern Church except, except entering it through, through monasticism. And uh, so, again, I talked about Benedict's rule as, as he drank so deeply from these desert fathers and mothers. Now, before I get into the specific sayings, uh, their sayings, uh, one more note. We do not know a lot about the desert mothers. Now, a number of names do survive, like uh, Sync- Synclectica, Ama. There was Abbas for the men and Amas for the women, Ama Synclectica, who was a woman of great authority and weight. And you'll hear me mention a couple of her sayings. And then there was Sister Macrina, who was a sister of Basel and Gregory. I'll talk about Gregory in a couple of weeks. But the, these were the communities of females and nuns. And they lived separately, of course, from the men. Uh, so, so now the following I'm, I'm going to share with you is a few of their teachings that they left behind. Now, they're meant to be read prayerfully and very slowly. Now, I know that most of you listening to my voice right now, you're in, you're doing, you're walking, you're doing your exercises, you're in a car, which is all fine. And, uh, but I want to, it just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to do this slowly. Uh, In fact, I have to break this up because I'm just going to take one of their themes, the cell, they call it the cell in silence. And I want to just expand on some of their sayings and But really, the invitation is to pray uh, over them, to think about them before the Lord, almost like a Lectio Divina, just like certain books, even outside Scripture, are meant to be pondered. Uh, So the sayings of the Desert Fathers are meant to be pondered. So this comes, again, out of the sayings of the Desert Fathers, um, which I really recommend you pick up either from Benedictine Water or or Penguin Press. It's cheap. It's worth having on your shelf and adding it to one of your prayer times, morning, evening, Offices. So, all right. So here's uh, again. I'm just I'm, I'm just going to kind of ref- read them slowly and prayerfully for myself again, and make a few comments uh, about it. So the theme here is, is the cell. Now a cell uh, is used as an ancient term for a quiet, private place to be with God. All right. So they they lived in literal cells, uh, which they built little huts for themselves, and all again they often lived in community. Uh, for the most, they all lived in community eventually, uh, or they lost their mind. A lot's talked about folks who didn't have community and the danger of that. But think of a cell, every time you hear the word cell, as an ancient term for a quiet, private place to be with God. Now, it could be your closet. It could be a chair. Uh, it could be a park bench. Uh, it could be in a church. Okay, so you'll hear the word cell. Well, here it goes. So, so learning to stay where you are in a cell is one of the hardest lessons for the desert out of the desert. So here's one of the most famous sayings of the desert that a brother went to Moses, one of the desert fathers uh, and asked for advice. And he said to him, Abba Moses said to him, go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. Go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. In other words, if you get to God, figure out, fight for it, battle for it, and stay with God, he will teach you everything you need for what's confronting you right now. It's a tremendous saying. Uh, Anthony of Athanasius said this, fish die if they stay on dry land. In the same way, monks who stay outside their cell or remain with secular people fall away from their vow of quiet. As a fish must return to sea so must we to our cell, in case by staying outside, we forget to watch inside. So in other words, you have inside of you, and I believe this firmly that every human being on the earth has within them an embryo, a, something of a, of a monk or a nun, a, a longing for a cell for, to be with God in silence and solitude. And like a fish, if you're outside, always with people, always moving, always in a hurry, uh, something's dying on the inside. You're, you're, because you're, you, you need a dimension. I need a dimension of being with God. And the extremity of these uh, early desert monks to flee to the desert in such an extreme form, such a, a physical form, it was not just an exterior desert. It was an interior desert. Speaks to us about us as we live active lives. And again, I'm here in New York City to construct to build a cell into our lives. So. God can teach us everything we need to know. Arsenius, uh, he was late, born in 360 to 449 AD. This guy, Arsenius, was born into great privilege in Rome, and he came from a wealthy senator's family. Uh, In fact, the emperor appointed him tutor of his two sons. But while he was still in the palace of the emperor, he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, lead me to salvation. And a voice came to him, And it said, Arsenius, flee from men and you will be saved. So he withdrew to a solitary life. He prayed again, asking the Lord to lead him to salvation. And he heard a voice saying to him, Arsenius, flee, be silent, pray always. These are the sources of sinlessness. Again, the voice said, Arsenius, flee, be silent, Pray always. Think about that for a moment. What might it look for you to flee today, to be, to be silent and to pray always? I mean, I'm just, I, I mean, I've just been, my gosh, thinking about it myself. Oh, Lord. It is the source of, of holiness, you know. And uh, see, it's, it's the quality of our silence is a real issue. There's a silence that's people act on, that's actually poisonous. It's actually evil. A silence, you've seen people, are you're resentful, and so you're silent. You're angry, your arms are crossed, and it comes out of woundedness. Maybe you're not the center of attention, so you're silent. Uh, that's a bad silence. But we're talking here about the silence of a cell that's actually attentive, focused, and comes out of a place of peace, in other words, our freedom to be silent in a way that reflects—it's got there's a freedom from resentment, a struggle for power. We're not looking for power, uh, but that's that's why authentic silence is such a challenge. This was one of the core issues in the desert uh, uh, in the third, fourth, and fifth century was was authentic silence, because the freedom to be silent in this way, not struggling for power, not resenting—it's a—it's a yes to life. Uh, you know, free from anger, power, struggles, and resentments. So even when under temptations, a brother asked a hermit, what am I to do? My thoughts will not let me sit alone in my cell for even an hour. And the hermit said, my son, go back, stay in your cell, wash your hands, pray to God continually, turn your thoughts to God, and let no one persuade you to go out of your cell. Wow. See, silence helps us, and a cell helps us realize that what we think matters, it doesn't matter. What we think is so true isn't. In fact, what you thought was the truest you, the real you, turns out to be empty, actually turns out to be a dishonest you, and you realize your surface ideas have to go. And so goes the notion that you can make something happen as a leader by the sheer act of your will. Uh, You can't. You know, a famous sculptor once said to his students, will, the will, our self-will has no part in any creative process. Another, another monk, uh, Peasus was his name, he loved, uh, you know, he really appreciated and loved another monk. And so Pullman did not like it, a, a fellow monk. So he went and visited one of the opposite and said to him, my brother, Paisius, loves someone else, admire someone else, and I don't like it. And Amos said to him, Poman, why are you still alive? Go sit in your cell and think to yourself that you've been in the grave a year already. Go to your cell and think to yourself you've been in the grave for a year already. In other words, imagine yourself in the grave. You say, it's so irrelevant how people see me and what they think of me. I love this. Uh, uh, Abba Arsenius, you've heard me mention talking before already. Was asked, "Why do you avoid us?" by one of the fellow monks, uh, and the old man said to him, "God knows that I love you, but I cannot be with God and with men." Excuse the language. There, the thousands and tens of thousands of the heavenly host have but one will, while men have many. So I cannot leave God uh, to be with you. I mean, even just the notion of my will is to do God's will. And again, the sayings are extreme. They're meant to provoke us. They're meant to challenge us. They're meant to shake us. We're going to say, this is crazy. But yes, but the idea he's pondering thousands and thousands of heavenly host angels have one will. That is the will of God. He goes, but human beings have a lot of wills. They will this. I want this. I want this. I want that. And he's saying, I I, I need to be with God. And, And the angels of heaven say, I have one will and my will is God's will. It was said of Theodore that the three things he held to be fundamental for spirituality were three things one, poverty. We'll talk about that next week or the week after. Asceticism, and then flight from human beings. In fact, they knew how easy it was for religious people to fall into the sin of pride, especially. Uh, And they feared that in the desert, perhaps more than any other. Uh, sin. It was so insidious. Uh, That's why they kept going deeper and deeper into the desert to escape any sense of fame that might be attached to them. Here's one of my favorite stories uh, of these desert fathers that uh, has served me uh, for quite some time. Anthony Anthony Athanasius was really, the, he's like the father of the desert father. He's like the, the, the father of monasticism. And here you see the letter from the emperor and Constantinus who asked him to come to Constantinople and Anthony was wondering whether he ought to go. So he asked one of his disciples, ought I to go? And the disciple replied, if you go, you will be called Anthony. But if you stay here, you will be called Abba Anthony. Abba Lord, uh, uh, it's a word for a, a father of deep authority. I'll say it again: If you go to the emperor's palace, you know, and you'll you'll be called Anthony, just Anthony. But if you stay here in the desert, uh, you'll be called Abba Anthony. I want you to think about that before you say yes to all your commitments this week, uh, uh, and. Prayerfully think about them because you can be running around like crazy and actually not have any depth. Th- that this one saying has helped me say no to a lot of opportunities over the years and invitations, uh, and the struggle of how much time do I spend alone with God and how much do I spend active. I'm you know, called to be a pastor, speaker, writer, all that stuff, and uh, I'm called to be at very much in the world, but it's very important that I've got my cell, I've got my uh, my being with God to sustain it. And again, I I got my own desert to form uh, right here in my office, where I am right now. But I love that. Ought I, go, ought I to go see the emperor who's just requested my presence? And he goes, well, if you go, you'll be called Paul. You'll be called Anthony. But if you, if you stay, you'll be called Abba Anthony. So you gotta be thinking about yourself 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And the kind of depth you'll have in your heart And ask God for discernment before you just say yes to great doors that may open before you. Great doors may open, but it may not be God's door for you right now. And uh, that's a prayer issue. You know, a cell was also considered a place of of a a refiner's fire, uh, a place to stay in because God was burning stuff out of us. And so where we are and who we are in the furnace is where the Son of God walks. So, one of the Desert Father's saying goes like this. A monk's cell was like the furnace of Babylon, where the three young men found the Son of God. And it's like the pillar of cloud where God spoke to Moses. So a monk's cell is like a furnace of Babylon, where the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, found Jesus, the Son of God. It's like the pillar of cloud where God spoke to Moses. So, there's, there's a refiner's fire that happens in that cell. In fact, another desert father said it this way, the arrows of the enemy cannot touch someone who loves quiet, but those who wander about among crowds will often be wounded by them. I love that. Another great saying is any trial, whatever that comes to you can be conquered by silence. How many of you have trials today going on in your life? I sure have got a few. Any trial, whatever that comes to you, can be conquered by silence. Pretty dramatic stuff. Any trial, Desert Father say, any trial. It makes sense why we find ourselves in such warfare to get to the desert, our own desert, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you live today, whatever your life situation is, to get the time with God you need to be and do what God's called you to be and do. It was said of another Abba Agathon that for three years he lived with a stone in his mouth until he learned to keep silence. For three years he kept a stone in his mouth until he learned to keep silence. Love that. We could use a few stones in our mouths. How about this one? A brother came to see... Abba Theodore, so in other words, one of the elders, one of the older men who'd been there for many, many years, a brother came to see Abba Theodore and spent three days begging him to say a word to him without getting a reply. He went away grieved. The old man never said a word. Then the old man's disciples said to him, Abba, why did you not say a word to this young brother? See, he has gone away grieved and sad. And the old man said to him, I did not speak to him, for he is a trafficker who seeks to glorify himself through the words of others. I did not speak to him, for he's a trafficker who seeks to glorify himself through the words of others. Like, wow. Like, wow. I don't want to be a trafficker, and I don't want you to be a trafficker who traffic's in the words of other people, you want to move and speak the words God's giving you for your people. And that's going to take getting to your cell and getting to silence. Another saying, a brother came to Abba Theodore and began to converse with him about things which he had never yet put into practice. So the old man said to him, you've not yet found a ship to sail in, nor put your luggage aboard it, nor put out to sea, and you've already arrived at the city. Do the work first. Then you will have the speed you are making now. Amazing. The guy was, (laughs) do the work first. Don't go, don't be in a rush to make it all happen. And then it'll happen. Live it. Fantastic two more here. It's just so good. It's so good. Another monk said this in the Desert Father sayings that survive to this day. He said, our form of pilgrimage is keeping the mouth closed. Wow. Try that in a couple of meetings today, but not in a nasty way or resentful way. Just listen. I like what, again, Anthony of Athanasius said. He says, prayer is not perfect until we no longer realize that we're in fact praying. In other words, you've really hit prayer when you don't even realize you're praying because your whole life is prayer. You're always in communion with God. You just live that way. I hope you're challenged by some of these. I know I am. I I, I don't get tired of reading it. I, I just get so so blessed. No, I've got... A number of other themes. We just dealt with one massive theme today, uh the sell in silence. Uh I've got not not as long, uh at least one more week on this, there on, on some different themes from uh poverty to uh, stepping into leadership. Uh I've got I got about ten pages here. I've organized into different categories and uh oh that's wonderful. And listen, we we're not supposed to do what they did in the third, fourth, and fifth centuries by actually running to a literal desert. But there needs to be something extreme that we must do of leaving the world and leaving, in a sense, the church culture as we know it. Uh, It's kind of a market-driven, numbers-driven, concern-what-people-think-driven and be ruthless to break all spiritual chains and cast off all these compulsions and get to Jesus and find our true selves and get free so we can bring Jesus to the world. But we've got to find our desert in ourselves. So you're not going to become what God, who Claude's called you to become by copying another person's path. Think of yourself like a novice in the desert. So you want to learn from folks who've gone before us And learn the rhythms of being a Christian of those who've gone before us further and deeper in. And then I, and you've got to take your own steps to create a life that's never been lived before. That's your life. Uh, Remember, it's not you trying to be Mother Teresa or you trying to be Anthony of Athanasius or a desert father or a desert mother. It's you being you uh, in your context. And this journey will always lead you into greater your own greater uniqueness uh, not less and uh wow there's nothing what, what could be more important than this inner spiritual journey with jesus it's far more crucial and infinitely more important than any journey to outer space so next week we'll continue it uh again let me invite you to uh go to emotionallyhealthy.org website you know look around there check out the day by day daily office books uh, get that church history ebook if you haven't looked at it yet. It just downloaded. It. It's free. It's short. It's worth pondering about why it's so important. If we're going to create a culture for the 21st century in the church, that's going to be a gift to the world. Uh, why we need to bring in some radical, deep spirituality like the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers into our lives, so we become the culture, and then by the grace of God, into our churches. Hey, thank you very much, everybody. It's been great to be with you, and you have a great day.